we do have BC's newest MLA, Eleanor Sturkel, uh, Surrey Self, who has uh, served in the role as a former spokesperson for the Surrey RCMP. Certainly someone that's seen uh, many, many different sides to uh, to violent crime. And she's uh, joining us uh, this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, first of all, my congratulations. I know it's been a while since we last talked, uh, but congratulations on uh, being the newest MLA, Eleanor Sturko. Oh, thanks, Bruce. Um, now, obviously, this is an issue that just doesn't seem to go away. We're hearing story after story after story. We still report them because each and every one of them has consequences. What's going on with this, uh, These an increase? Is it really an increase in violence? What do you think? Well, it's not just what I think. Um, it's also what was indicated in the Lepard report, which did confirm that random attacks are on the rise. And I think that, you know, um, one of the concerning parts is, is that how long it's actually taken this government to acknowledge that this problem actually even exists. So, yeah, it's, it's true. It's not just um, sensationalism on the news. Unfortunately, it is uh, the reality that more people are being randomly attacked by strangers on the streets of our province. I hate to ever look at the question this way, but let's just uh, be completely honest. Are we safe or is a woman safe uh, walking through the streets of uh, Vancouver at night? You know what? That's a kind of a loaded question because I'm not going to say that there's so many um, crimes everywhere that you're never going to be safe anywhere. But certainly there are certain areas where we have seen um, increases and more likelihood of being attacked. Um, So, you know, I, I don't like to use that sort of like generality that if you're, you're dang- there's danger ev- lurking everywhere, but unfortunately, with the randomness of some of these attacks, um, it certainly feels that way. But I think overall, I, I would like people to, to know that overall, there are still um, safe areas. I think the awareness that people have right now about random crimes, um, we see people looking out for each other. There's certainly a heightened um, you know, awareness of what's happening. So even look what happened in Vancouver when that woman was attacked in the lobby of her apartment. Bystanders were there willing to help out. And I think as we've seen this problem, um, you know, not just emerge, but become sort of, you know, an everyday occurrence, unfortunately, people are stepping up. They're sick and tired of what's happening and they're looking out for each other. Oh, they are sick and tired. And when you hear of an attack near, you know, Camby and Pender in Vancouver, a uh, 29-year-old woman uh, struck in the face, knocked right to the ground uh, for no apparent reason. And we know that this is one attack on top of so many others that have been reported. Certainly, that's a frightening situation. And I know we have, and you mentioned it, uh, the report uh, prepared by Lepard and others. Um, and there are recommendations in there. But it seems like a lot of recommendations are, you know, more recommendations and more opportunities to study and talk and this and that. Where's the action? Where does the talking stop? What do we need? Well, that's what's gross about it. I, I honestly, like, it sickens me because, you know, you, you mentioned as a spokesperson, but I was actually also, you know, don't forget, an active general duty police officer um, dealing with people on the street. You know, I'm the one that oftentimes have had to tell people that the person that hurt you, the person that has upset your life, the person that has caused you to be filled with fear is back out on the street. 
So one of the things that has really, really upset me about this entire situation is that it was months and months ago that urban mayors, you know, wrote a letter to David Eby pleading with him. They were exasperated. They were proposing solutions. And at that time, it was like the government of British Columbia didn't believe that there was a problem. It was complete denial of the situation saying, you know, you know, for example, uh, David Eby's uh, replacement Uh, Murray Rankin said that it was all anecdotal rhetoric. They really downplayed a situation where we did have people being punched in the head. We had someone whose hair was set on fire. We've had people stabbed to death in the streets. You know, what did it take for them to actually believe that there was a problem? Why couldn't they believe mayors? Why couldn't they believe police are victims? And so now that they've got the Lepard report, which confirmed what mayors, police and victims and the people of British Columbia have been saying for months, they finally have you know, something that finally convinced them the problem exists and now they want to pin it on the federal government. I really strongly believe that a lot of the solutions that were proposed initially by police and by the mayors are things that could be implemented. They were asking for stricter bail conditions months ago. I think that report or that letter to David Eby was either the end of March or the beginning of April. And instead of taking action and believing, you know, their experience, their actual frontline experience with what's happening in the streets, that's when he ordered um, there to be this study. And every single day that we waited for that study and waited for them to finally be convinced we had on average four people a day being randomly attacked just in the city of Vancouver. And to me, it's unacceptable and it's it's gross. It's disgusting. It is I gross think- and it is disgusting. And this is what Vancouver Police uh, Constable Jason Doucette had to say about the woman who was attacked on Wednesday. Out of nowhere, punched her, sucker punched her right in the face, hitting her in the eye, causing her to fall to the ground. He runs off, but luckily there were some witnesses in the area who got a good description of the suspect, but also came to her aid more importantly. It is a little frightening for us and, and frightening for people to be walking down the street, minding their own business and having stuff like this happen. Eleanor Sterko, you've talked with victims uh, over the course of your career. Um, do you remember these uh, type of cases and these conversations you mentioned uh, where you had to uh, have frank and honest talks about them not being in custody? Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things that it, not only with victims of violence, but repeatedly having to speak with shop owners um, who've had their shops broken into, looted, um, time after time coming back to broken windows, to graffiti. And then for us to have to tell them, I'm sorry, but the person wasn't held in custody. Um, you know, and it's like a revolving door. It's someone called it the unhappiest merry-go-round that there is. It just keeps going around and around. And meanwhile, victims of crime keep piling up and, you know, enough is enough. I think people are losing confidence in our justice system, Um, you know, especially because one of the things that makes it so egregious is that many, especially these violent incidents that happen, we find out that the person is already on conditions, um, is on bail, oftentimes have lengthy uh, criminal conviction records for violent crimes um, you know, and so they've been released out into the community and, and here they are reoffending again. Yeah, absolutely. But this is what BC's Attorney General Murray Rankin has already said about you can't arrest uh, your way out of this problem. Deeply about the victims of the crime and we need to find solutions that are lasting. 
To, comp to suggest that we can simply arrest our way out of the problem is not going to be a sufficient solution. It's a necessary part of the solution, but if the, if the members opposite think that is the way we're going to address this complex, complex problem, they're wrong. Do we need more care and love for the uh, perpetrators? You know what? That, uh, sure we do. Sure we need to have more care, but why can't that care be delivered through our justice system? You know, one of the things that um, I've done and our research team has been doing is looking at some of the cases, um, asking for transcripts to go back and see like, okay, so what did happen in court? What were the reasons people are released? What are some of the things that happened while individuals were in custody? So we can see you know, from start to finish, how some of these people end up back on the street and what were the circumstances that led to that. You know, it's not just um, sloganeering, as our premier likes to call it. We're actually researching this and trying to find viable solutions. So one of the things that I've noted in some of the cases where we've looked at transcript is that people who were um, convicted and spent several months in uh, custody or either pre-trial or were serving a sentence for crimes that they were convicted on had received at that time counseling inside of corrections. They were receiving vocational training. Some of them were attending um, various addictions treatment. And these are things that um, are going to assist them when they are out back into the community. And um, so particularly then when they are released, the importance of having bail conditions that may include um, reporting in with a bail supervisor, um, attending um, mandated counseling. These are things that our you know, uh, justice system can help people to recover from their issues so that they can um, go on to have a healthier and certainly safer participation in our community. So okay. you know, we're always... We're always talking, you know, and I've heard our former attorney general um, and our, our current attorney general, and they're talking about, well, we need to have more counseling to prevent people from going to jail. Well, we don't have a time machine. We can't go back and, and prevent crimes that have already happened or are happening today. Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. We have been talking with Eleanor Sturko, BC's newest MLA, Liberal MLA from Surrey South, talking about these random acts of violence which uh, continue. Eleanor, in your experience uh, working back to your uh, career as a RCMP officer who's seen many, many of the uh, cases, um, do you think that this is something that requires more maybe federal interaction, what, uh, what sort of role does the federal government have, especially when it comes to uh, uh, the criminal uh, code? Well, the criminal code and changes to that are federal jurisdiction. And so, sure, they probably, you know, there are some things that they need to take in cons into consideration, especially now that we've seen some of the impacts, perhaps, of Bill C-75. But I want to be clear that there are things that can be done even without any changes, I would say, at this time to Bill C-75. That bill was put into place so that we could do things that would help to modernize our justice system. And I think that there are things that are important about strengthening the presumption of innocence and seeing where appropriate that we certainly let people um, be on bail awaiting trial because of the presumption of innocence. We're talking about keeping people who do pose a risk to public safety um, you know, in custody while they await their um, their court appearances. I appreciate that. And I know that uh, we've kept you for quite a while and uh, we'll let you go on that, uh, Eleanor Sturko. Also, I uh, want to take a chance to get to some of our callers. Uh, Dev in Vancouver, what do you have to say? 
what, what do I have to say? No, I don't feel safe. There, there's a, a fella in our neighborhood. We're, we're terrorized. He walks in and out of yards, does what he wants. And you know what he tells us when we say we're going to call the police? Go ahead. They're not going to do anything to me. And he laughs at us. And you know who else is laughing at us right now? Is this government that just sits there and just gives us all these slogans and theories. Uh, the best deterrent is if someone realizes that if they do something wrong, they're going to go to jail. That is a good deterrent, don't you think? Dev, I hear your frustration, and uh, it's certainly clear in your voice. Uh, let's see if it's shared by some others, like in Vancouver also. Denise, Denise, what do you think? Oh, my God. Uh, I, I had to stop walking my dogs in my neighborhood. I live in East Vancouver, and a couple of years ago, I was walking one of my dogs and passed a man in his car masturbating, and he was doing this right in front of a a, a yard. Thankfully, it was fenced, but with kids playing in it. And uh, shortly after that, I was followed by another man for uh, a, about a block, and I managed to stare him down until he went away, but a couple days later I saw him on the news, and he was the machete-wielding crazy man who was ringing the doorbell of a senior citizen. Let me ask you this. Uh, we got from Eleanor Sturkle saying it is a complicated question, and perhaps it is, but uh, do you feel safe, Denise, yourself no. in Vancouver? No. Bottom no. line. In fact, I, I, I took a two-year break from walking my dogs in my own neighborhood, and started walking my foster dog a few weeks ago, or a few months ago. But a couple of weeks ago, um, we walked up, uh, we went for a walk, and not half an hour later, one of the tenants in an Airbnb on our block was having a mental health episode, and was came out wielding knives and bear spray. Yeah, absolutely and it took 10 frightening. Cops to take him down. Ten police. Oh, it's a terrible situation for many people. Denise, thank you for your call. Also, our thanks to Eleanor Sturko. Remember the, oh, the Emergency Act. Uh, something very controversial being enacted by our Prime Minister uh, to counter some of the things that we were seeing, some of the impacts associated with the truckers' convoy. Well, that resulted in a call for a public inquiry, and that public inquiry got underway yesterday. But if we go back in time, we remember some of the comments that Justin Trudeau made when he brought in the Emergencies Act. This is what he had to say. We knew from the very beginning uh, that invoking the Emergencies Act is a big step. It had never been done before. But given these unprecedented illegal protests, uh, we needed to take action. We took it in a way that was measured, that was responsible, that was time-limited. Measured, responsible, and time-limited. Three of the words that he used in justifying bringing in the powers of the Emergency Act at the time. Well... That was then, this is now, and underway now is the inquiry. Justin Trudeau said, yeah, let's go ahead. We need the inquiry. We knew full well that there needed to be a public inquiry. Canadians need that level of transparency and accountability, uh, and that's why uh, we launched this inquiry. That's why I'm so happy to be, that I offered from the beginning, uh, to be part of of appearing at this commission. Uh, And we're going to make sure that Canadians see... uh, the situation we were facing and how the tools we used were appropriate. So that inquiry gets underway with uh, a bit of a strong warning 
against it becoming too adversarial from the commissioner saying this is not a trial. It is an inquiry. All that being said, what's going to be happening over the course of this? And is it something that we need to look into when we talk about Canadians and our own civil liberties? Well, Alain Bartleman is a lawyer and special advisor to the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and joins us now. Thanks so much for being with us. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, good afternoon to you in your time and good morning to us in our time. That's how our country works. Uh, when we talk about uh, some of the concerns that may be coming up uh, during the actual proceedings, we should talk about what's going to be decided. What is the necessity in having a public inquiry from your point of view as a lawyer and special advisor to the CCLA? Why do we need this inquiry? Well, there's a few reasons for which we need this inquiry, one of which is the simple fact that we had an unprecedented uh, deployment of the Emergencies Act. It's been on the books for well over 30 years, and it had never been invoked uh, until this year, until February 14th of this year. The second is that there's a requirement within the Act itself to have uh, an inquiry. So when we take a look at uh, just the Act itself, uh, your understanding before we brought it in to deal with the protests, what is the, going back 30 years in time, I guess, what is the idea of having an Emergencies Act? What is the purpose of that? The purpose of having an inquiry is really as a stopgap and also as a tool to ensure that, that the no, invitation... I, just Let's hold on that for a minute. When I say uh, taking a look at this, I, I mean the purpose of the actual Emergencies Act, not the, uh, the inquiry itself, but why do we have that act? Oh, I see. Thanks for the clarification. The reason we have an Emergencies Act or some form of act that allows us to invoke these extraordinary powers that would be found, whether in the Emergencies Act that we have uh, dating from 1988, the current act, or the previous War Measures Act, uh, is to allow the the federal government to deploy its resources uh, to respond to serious threats, grave threats uh, that endanger the lives, health and safety of Canadians, that call into question the territorial integrity of our country uh, or that threaten the ability of the government of Canada to protect its citizens and protect its borders. Okay, that that can't be dealt with under other laws of this country, including provincial laws. Right, and that makes a lot of sense. So the question comes up afterwards, and I guess it's, uh, as you alluded to, uh, part of this uh, built into the Act itself is when it's invoked to have a review later on. And uh, that's what's happening now. Um, What type of things will be asked over the course of this uh, inquiry? And what do we need to find out in terms of civil liberties? Well, the fundamental question that we're trying to answer uh, through this inquiry is uh, really whether the appropriate thresholds were met to have this national piece of legislation uh, deployed uh, in February of this year whether the decision was a, was a lawful one uh, that was taken on the 14th of February, and also uh, to get a better glimpse as to the decision-making process that occurred in the lead-up to the declaration uh, of, the, of the emergency on 14 February of this year. In the lead-up to the declaration of it. So when you started to hear about this initially being brought in, and someone that is well-versed 
in dealing with uh, civil liberties, our rights as Canadians. Were you surprised by the move? I was. At heart, and keeping in mind the the fog of uncertainty that decision makers are confronted with on a daily basis, uh, and especially putting ourselves back into the mindset uh, and into the the, the time late January, early February of this year, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. We have evidence, we have press releases from a number of groups across the country uh, about a series of protests that were planned. Um, I was, however, surprised that on the 14th of February, the federal government decided to deploy the uh, Emergencies Act, which, as you pointed out, it's a national legislation. It's a federal legislation in response to what at heart were a series of localized protests. They were spread across the country, but they were localized protests at their heart, whether they were protests in Windsor, Ontario, Coots, Alberta, or uh, as uh, most we saw most famously, uh, the protests right at the heart of downtown Ottawa. I was surprised to see that the federal government saw the need to deploy a federal piece of legislation uh, to deal with these protests, many of which, by the way, were dealt with very effectively by local or regional police services, such as in Coots, Alberta, or again in Windsor, Ontario. Now, I go back to my social studies classes uh, back in high school when we took a look at the FLQ crisis, and I believe that was the War Measures Act back at that time. How is this different, this act? Not what happened, but uh, the actual uh, piece of legislation. There's a number of changes as compared to the War Measures Act. And, and first and foremost, we can see uh, from the titles of the pieces of legislation themselves, we have on the one hand, the War Measures Act, a very old act that really was designed to, to assist the federal government uh, respond to situations of, of war, frankly, versus what we have today, which is an Emergencies Act, uh, which permits the federal government to invoke these extraordinary powers uh, in cases that are a bit larger than those contemplated by war. Uh, we have, for example, uh, different categories of emergency. We can have a, a public welfare uh, emergency, which, uh, which is somewhat different than what would be otherwise uh, contemplated by a War Measures Act, or a public order emergency, which is really what we're concerned with in this inquiry here. Now, we heard for several days that there were these massive protests and uh and uh, the police in Ottawa were concerned about uh, truckers coming in, and certainly uh, people were concerned about their ability to move in in Ottawa itself, and uh, and even tow truck drivers refusing at times to get involved in removing vehicles. Uh, some of that was rectified later, but these were some of the situations and some of the situations just around the um, what was happening in Ottawa itself. The Emergencies Act being brought in was to counter some of this and to prevent uh, some of what we were seeing at the time. But for those who are unaware of some of the powers in this, what could be allowed under the Emergencies Act? The Emergencies Act uh, allows for a series of special orders to be passed uh, that provide for exceptionally far-reaching powers. Uh, that can be applied across the entirety of the country. And this is really at the heart of the concern of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, is that we have the federal government deploying this, this federal legislation to respond to, as you pointed out, what really at its heart uh, were a series of protests that occurred in downtown Ottawa. Clearly, those protests had to be dealt with. However, the, the question, the key question, 
from our perspective, is whether you needed a federal piece of legislation that impacted every single Canadian to deal with this particular localized problem. And when we speak of these orders, by the way, uh, I said they were far-reaching. They were exceptionally far-reaching. If you read the terms of the regulations or of the, of the orders, they were uh, restrictive across the country insofar as they restricted rights of assembly. They imposed uh, potential freezing orders. They ordered financial institutions to comply with the terms of the orders. And they did so in a way, again, that was a blanket prohibition across every single Canadian and also across Canadian financial institutions. So under this, some of the protesters that were uh, certainly in line with the thoughts of those in Ottawa, but perhaps in Surrey at the border crossings there, uh, they would have fallen under this uh, this act too, Surrey and B.C., um, even though they weren't responsible for what happened in Ottawa, correct? That's exactly right. And... When it comes to, and you outlined some of the overarching things that are involved in uh, in the Act, but one of the things that uh, I'm not aware of, uh, and maybe you can uh, fill us in, does this give more powers to detain people and for a longer period of time without charges? Certainly, you, you have an expansion of the circumstances in which detention would be contemplated by the, by the forces of order. And otherwise, otherwise put, you're really allowing the police quite a bit more leeway and you're allowing the police quite a bit more uh, discretion in, in, what, uh, in, in their decision to detain individuals and their decision to take individuals into custody. Uh, you really have an expansion in, in, the, service, in the ability of police services to, uh, to discharge their functions, again, on a, on a cross-country, on a national basis, in response to localized problems. We're talking about the Emergencies Act and civil liberties uh, in terms of Canadians and what happened with this, the public inquiry now underway. We're talking about the Emergencies Act inquiry and the commissioner warning against adversarial proceedings as this got underway yesterday. That warning to keep everything civil, I guess. Uh, But it is an important act and part of that act does call for this sort of review And in this review, well, maybe something will be found. Alain Bartleman is with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Is it uh, possible, Alain, that uh, there could be something that's uh, really a condemnation of the move that comes out of this? It's certainly possible. Uh, And I'll note right now that, as you pointed out at the start of this discussion, this is the first time that this act has ever been uh, deployed. And so when we think back to the circumstances of early uh, in this year, early part of 2021, uh, and the decision to deploy the, uh, the Emergencies Act, we really have uh, a zone of uncertainty and, and, a, and a fog, if you will. And so I would not be surprised if the, if the inquiry were to come back, the recommendations were to come back in February of next year, uh, pointing out areas where the government could and should have done better. Uh, either in defining the emergencies better or uh, in the terms of the actual orders that were passed further to the uh, to the declaration of a state of emergency. Okay, Arnie and Delta, what do you think about this? Well, I I honestly think that uh, Trudeau did the right thing. We can't have uh, a few thousand people hold an entire city hostage. And quite frankly, uh, when it all happened, I thought, geez, I don't think uh, good old Pierre would have put up with that. And 
nor should the rest of the country when we only have a few thousand people complaining about civil liberties when all the government is trying to do is is help the healthcare system the the whole idea of the covid shot was to make sure that our hospitals weren't overwhelmed and if if they ask us to get a a, a, a dose um, they're doing it for the good of the country. They're not doing it to make money or, or anything like that. And we just can't have a few thousand people hold basically an, an entire country hostage. Appreciate the call, Artie and Delta. Uh, Alain, what do you think about that? Well, let's be clear. The position of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association is not that uh, no actions should have been taken to respond to uh, the blockades to the protests. Clearly, and especially in the case of the protests in Ottawa, most of which were peaceful, yes, but some of which were very disruptive uh, and frankly had very disturbing imagery, including protesters from the extreme right waving swastika flags, dancing around the tomb uh, of the unknown soldier. Um, Something had to be done. That's very clear. And I think everyone is in agreement on that. Our concern is with the decision on the part of the government to deploy a federal piece of legislation to respond to what at heart was a localized uh, concern, a very serious local concern, uh, with repercussions for the entirety of the country. The scope of it. Exactly. The scope of it. Thank you very much uh, again for your call there, Arnie. And thank you, Alain Bartleman, uh, lawyer and special advisor to the Canadian Civil Liberties Association as this inquiry certainly does get underway, and we'll be seeing uh, what the results of that are. Thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of your morning. You know, is it ticks, cockroaches, or rats? Perhaps your in-laws. Yeah, pests of all shapes and sizes. Well, they stand no chance against Mike Laundry. He's with us this morning. Mike Laundrie is a pest control expert with Westside Pest Control. And, yeah, the weather is changing, so that means, yeah, a whole new round of pests, I guess. Uh, Good morning, Mike. Uh, What are we looking at now? Is there any pest that we should be most concerned about BC-wide? Hi, Bruce. Uh, Yeah, um, well... As you call it, coming to the fall here, it's definitely the time of year when critters are looking for a nice warm place to harbor inside of structures. We've been uh, blessed with some really warm weather, but it looks like that might be uh, starting to turn next week, um, especially in towards the end of next week. When the weather cools down and the rain starts to fall, then um, lots of critters come indoors and people start hearing scratching above their heads at, at, at night, early in the morning. Uh, they'll see, see signs of them often in, in kitchens and, and crawl spaces and that sort of thing. Um, and it's definitely good to address these things early on before they become uh, a bigger issue. Now, Mike, uh, I talked with you, oh, about a year ago, perhaps. And I think I mentioned at the time that one of the problems that we had at our home, a townhouse uh, in the Clayton Heights area of Surrey, was mice. Um, And a lot of that was connected to um, just uh, the clearing of land. I guess they had to come in from somewhere. Well, guess what? More land was cleared. And just when we thought we had the mice uh, problem under control, more mice came back. So it's been an ongoing battle. 
and I know others around Surrey have been dealing with this. Is this a province-wide uh, problem, or is it a Surrey problem? What are you hearing about mice? Uh, mice are definitely not a, not a Surrey problem. They've been a global problem for thousands of years now. Um, anytime you've got um, any any metropolitan area is uh, uh, in any urban area as well. Um, are usually hot spots for mouse infestations. The few, um, you know, exceptions to this, there's a little bit less activity in ex- places of extreme heat and extreme cold, um, but you'd be amazed. They seem to find their way and cohabitate with humans almost everywhere. And they're so small. I mean, when we, we get them, I, I'm just surprised at the size, most of them. Uh, and they're not babies, the ones I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about, uh, you know, the. I think they're full grown. But they're able to get into the place, you know, uh, even with all our garage doors and no holes that we can see. What can be done about mice? Um. Yeah, finding and locating their entry points is definitely one of the key um, uh, things that you're going to need to do to to eliminate them in the long term, they can, um, as you were just talking about, they, they can get through the smallest of spaces. In fact, a mouse can squeeze its a full grown mouse can squeeze its body through a six millimeter hole. Um, so you're looking at something just over half a centimeter, and you know when you put that into perspective, you can understand why it can be such a, a challenge. Um, uh, so yeah, you need to really look o- over the whole foundation of the house. The foundation is always the most important place to start because unlike roof rats and Norway rats, mice typically don't climb the exterior of a of a structure. They're trying to get in easy, easy places at uh, ground level. Is it indicative that uh, if you have mice, uh, you're basically a slob or, you know, do they just look for a place to come in? <laughs> Uh, no, no, don't don't beat yourself up over uh, over over sanitation issues. Um, obviously, poor sanitation is going to exasperate the problem more. Um, but uh, for the most part, it usually starts out with both mice and rats. It starts out the structure is a place, um, for, literally just a place for them to reside. Uh, it's a place to come in and and get shelter from the from the rain and warmth from the from the cold um uh unlike unlike rats mice will cohabitate with people and live in close proximity in wall voids in their in their kitchens and come and go for for food and actually stay within the structure um rats on the other uh, on the other hand uh literally use the house as a place to to sleep and uh, and still venture out for all eating purposes. Mike Laundry is a pest control expert with Westside Pest Control. Uh, Mike, you mentioned rats, and uh, I always thought that rats uh, hung out uh, near water or near the docks or that sort of thing. I was surprised to find out that there are rats even in my own neighborhood uh, near restaurants and some of the uh, places uh, that... I guess, dispose of food. Uh, what are you hearing? What do you know about rat problems around uh, the lower mainland and the rest of the province? Uh, yeah, so same as same as mites, um, you know, looking historically, rat populations have continued to increase over time like they do in most populated areas. Um, uh, and, you know, there's, there's always 
there's always an abundance of food and it's not just trash that people throw out rats rats are are pretty are pretty happy organic eaters as well so um and actually 80 percent of their 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 uh their diet and sometimes higher than that is uh is vegetarian so um fruit that falls from from trees nuts um, uh, directly out of the vegetable garden. People don't like to think about it, but um, these things can all feed and exasperate rat issues in urban areas. Rats and mice, uh, when we spot them, uh, do we need to take action? At what point do you call in someone that's expensive, like a pest control expert like yourself? Or uh, can you take care of it yourself with uh, some of the home products? Uh, it depends. Some people uh, just like just like anything. Uh, every, everybody has a different has a different tolerance level for what is an infestation and what is what is acceptable. I mean, a- anytime you have mice or rats inside the structure, you should certainly be addressing it yourself or calling or calling a professional. Um, rodents outside the structure is another is another case. Uh, uh, using some tamper-proof trapping stations around the yard is. Is something that is a is a good way to uh, keep the population at bay. It's kind of like a uh, an invisible line of defense against rodents. But um, uh, yeah, you want to address the issue once it's present inside the structure. I was so surprised when I popped into a hardware store and started to see how many products are available for mice and rats. Um, are there any ones that you know that simply don't work and you'd say, hey, skip, don't even bother? Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say there's ones that don't work. It's understanding what it's, it's understanding where to use where to use certain certain products. So, for instance, things that you'll find um, and I've spoken to Mike about this before before um, products like ultrasonic devices that um, essentially emit a noise that rodents don't like those are good preventative tools but if you have an infestation the rodents will just completely ignore that unpleasant that unpleasant sound Um, uh, the traditional wooden snap traps uh, work tremendously well um, for persistent infestations, uh, so you know if you've been dealing with an issue for a while and a rodent has become accustomed to, for instance, always eating your granola bars or has stocked up on on uh, on nuts and seeds from your pantry over time, it's going to take a while to convince that rodent to go for a new bait on on a new trap. So we often suggest to people uh, doing their own pest control services to pre-bait the traps first, meaning put bait on, on traps and set them around the house, but don't actually set the, the, the snapping trigger until you've established where they're feeding and oh. had them feed consistently. I also hear that they run along the uh, the walls uh, right around the bottom, right? Yeah, yeah. You always want to place traps perpendicular to the wall about one inch away uh, because if you put them flat parallel to the wall that they hit the back of the trap they might set it off without getting caught and then become trap shy in future bruce clagged in for mike smith and we're talking with 
Mike Laundry, a pest control expert at Westside Pest Control, about what's bugging you. Some of the pests, we talked about uh, mice and rats, but there are also the creepy crawlies. Mike, what is the number one bug or uh, creepy crawly type thing that you're dealing with right now or about to deal with, Mike? Uh, so, yeah, we're still seeing a lot of insects because it's been such a warm uh, a warm fall. Uh, believe it or not, we're still getting wasp calls in uh, in October, which are, are normally a, a, a rare occurrence, but uh, they're still a, a regular occurrence. Um, and we're even getting pavement ant calls at the moment still, which is uh, um, just something that we've, we've never seen before at this time in October. Um, typically, though, by this time of year, for the most part, uh, uh, insects, Insect concerns are confined to things like silverfish and cockroaches, um, indoor insects uh, for the most part. Yeah, I'm so surprised. Uh, I have seen a lot of wasps uh, and October for wasps. Well, 20 degrees uh, and plus in dry conditions. I guess it all has to play. Uh, 604-280-9898. Some of your phone calls and questions for Mike. Let's go to Raj and Kamloops. Your question. Oh, hey, uh, good morning, Mike. Um, I just wanted to give my experience on uh, with our mice issue that we had. Uh, you know, uh, we did find out they were inside our home and whatnot, and I did check every crack and seal through the foundation, garage doors, you name it. And um, I just um, want to, uh, you know, uh, let your, you know, let the viewers know that uh, they, they were coming in uh, to our home through our uh, not cable, but telephone boxes outside, you know, the Telus or Rogers, whatever. Uh, they were crawling up the wires there into the house. So just, again, to let the viewers know, um, check there as well. Up uh, the wires and into the house. Uh, I mean, Raj, uh, thanks, uh, Raj and Kamloops. I, I hear you and feel your pain. It reminds me of uh, the rats on the ships uh, going up on the ropes uh, back in the Black Plague. Uh, that's how they got in there. Um is that typical that they would go in through wires, Mike? Yeah, any any point of ingress. Uh, rodents are great are great climbers, especially especially roof rats. Um, and uh, yeah, they will follow in these 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 lines. And in fact, it's not just restricted to rodents, but we've come across on multiple occasions carpenter ant infestations where carpenter ants are following overhead lines or going up a pole on the street and then following overhead lines and gaining access into a structure that way. I've even seen it before where a perimeter has been treated uh, either by a homeowner or another company and we've come around uh, uh, and, and they can't figure out how the, the ants are, are, are getting in and in fact their access point is through um, a power line feeding into the, the structure. Well, wow, that's just incredible. Incredible, uh, Raj and Kamloops, uh, thanks for the call. Elaine in Surrey, what are you dealing with? Uh, we're dealing with moles. Moles? Uh, that's one I haven't heard in a while. Uh, what's the problem, Elaine? Well, they ruined our yard. They're just There's holes all over and lumps. And who can we get a hold of? to exterminate them or do something. Mike, is that something that most pest control experts uh, like yourself deal with? Do you deal with moles? Uh, so most pest control experts actually actually don't. Uh, you're best to deal exclusively with a mole, with a mole company. The challenge around 
um, moles is those dirt piles are indicative of not where a mole is, but where a mole has been. So it can it can certainly alert you to an infestation, um, but uh, locating and eliminating moles is actually quite an art form, as I've personally dis- discovered. Um, we actually work, uh, I, I myself have had ongoing mole issues, and ARG Mole Removal is, is the company that I personally use. And um, I would I would definitely recommend them. Uh, also, Mike, uh, that the uh, the owner and operator of ARG Mole Removal, um, and he can certainly help you with that. Appreciate it, and good luck to you, Elaine. Alan Langley, what are you dealing with? A uh, bit of a mouse problem. Um, since February, actually, I have caught an awful lot of them using sticky traps, some traps with peanut butter, um, eat more bars. Uh, and other and some i i really don't want to use poison because i got a dog and so do our neighbors and stuff like that and actually i did have a rat problem and rats are a lot easier to catch than mice al thank you for the call um and al is experiencing uh the same sort of problem that i've had uh, not too far away from me in langley uh very quickly uh what can we do about that mike is there anything that works uh better uh, well, every situation is, is different. So, um, uh, you know, I would, uh, uh, in a typical situation, uh, we would speak to a caller over the phone for a few minutes and get some more info from them. Um, but, uh, yeah, be, being, being persistent with different kinds of, kinds of baits, um, as I spoke about earlier, uh, uh, pre, pre-baiting as well, getting the rodents familiar with, um, with the, with the, the, the traps, um, Sometimes it can be really difficult. I, like like any time we can we can do a rodenticide free service, it's always preferred. If you're anything like me, Friday night is time to sit back, relax, possibly watch a movie at home. And yes, I do have those options because of uh, multiple streaming channels. Always enjoy it on a Friday night. Don't enjoy it when it comes time to actually pay the bills. And uh, one of those bills, of course, is Netflix, which has gone up over over the years. Certainly their content has also increased. But uh, yeah, ever notice the initial price we paid when Netflix came out? It's not what we pay now. Well, Netflix being one of the best known, if not the best known streaming service, is officially adding a new tier, making things even a little bit, get this, cheaper. But there's a price to pay for that. And to talk a little bit more about that is our technology and digital lifestyle expert at HandyAndyMedia.com. Andy Brar, thanks so much for joining us, Andy. Good to talk with you. Oh, my pleasure, Bruce. Andy, uh, so Netflix is... Uh, is coming out with a new tier and it's going to be cheaper, right? So everything's good, but what's the big but here? The big but are the ads are coming. The ads that Netflix said they would never, ever do, they would never support an ad-supported model. Well, times have changed. And Bruce, you know, I was thinking today, Netflix was the company that took out Blockbuster, but now they've become the Blockbuster of streaming options. So they, they the writing was on the wall. They lost 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter of 2022. Something had to give. 
And that give is now ads on Netflix. You know, it's interesting, Andy, because uh, you know me, I, I'm always interested in tech. And I think a lot of uh, services, content-wise, uh, come down to following tech and what's happened with the tech. And Netflix was a company, if you'll remember, uh, started off as a mail-in company where you would actually order uh, tapes or DVDs or whatever, movies by mail for your machine. And uh, certainly when Blockbuster, as you mentioned, moved into problems uh, keeping up with uh, streaming services, guess what? Netflix adapted, didn't they? They did. They did. So what they had was a mail over DVD. So you could get DVDs mailed to your house. You didn't have to go to Blockbuster and sort through and and try to find it. Then the internet streaming, the, the connections got better. And Netflix saw this opportunity of starting to stream video because we had YouTube. YouTube's been around since 2006. So that technology was there. But a company like Blockbuster, who for all accounts should have been the company that introduced streaming, but they just had it so good. They didn't think that people would ever change. Netflix got on to that bandwagon, changed the way that we consume. And now we have terms like cord cutters, people that were cutting their cable and going completely streaming. But those cord cutters are about to see ads once again, if they want to save some money on their bill. Okay, so this new tier, what is the price like and uh, what has been the price for your typical Netflix service? If you have just one account on Netflix, that costs you $9.99. If you're going to go with a family pack where you have multiple accounts, so multiple people in your family can watch at the same time, that is $20.99. If you opt for this new ad model, that's going to cost you $5.99. And for about an hour of content, you're looking at about four to five minutes of ads. So Bruce, essentially, we've come full circle, okay? We've gone right back to the TV model of ads and paying. So um, the writing was on the wall because of the competition. It came down to price. There are more scripted TV shows than ever before. And and, those are big budgets. They, They cost a lot of money to make. And now they have to find different revenue streams. And going to advertisers is one way that Netflix hopes to retain their current subscribers and perhaps attract more because they for the first time, they're actually losing subscribers. So they, they see the writings on the wall and something needs to be done. Well, what were the alternatives that uh, really made Netflix uh, start to think about this model? Is it the Amazon uh, Amazon Prime or? Well, Bruce, let's just, let's just go and look at the competition that Netflix has to go against. Disney Plus, HBO, Apple, and then Amazon. Those those companies have big, big pockets. Some of them have a, a huge library of content that they can leverage off, like Disney Plus and the Star Wars franchise. So there is just so much competition. Netflix was the first one, but everyone followed suit. And now you have this, you have even a generation of cord nevers. You have people that went through college and university, people like myself who never had a cable subscription, who just used everything on streaming. These people might actually start looking at cable and say, well, that's actually a better deal than 
paying for for uh, Disney Plus and Netflix and say HBO. You know, cable is starting to look kind of good these days. You know, the one thing I've always liked about Netflix, well, a couple things. First of all, uh, diversity of programming. Uh, there's something for everyone. It doesn't necessarily seem to go in one direction and keep really focused in that direction. So that's good because my mood changes constantly. Uh, and they have lots of original content. Uh, some of it made in Canada, uh, or a lot of it now, and that's also good. So those are the things I like about Netflix. But I also like the fact it has always been, to me, very clean, meaning it doesn't have these ads. It just is kind of like uh, I go there, I know I'm paying for a premium service, I get a movie, that's what I'm expecting to see. I don't want to see any garbage. I don't want to see any ads, anything like that. Um, this new model, how intrusive is it going to be? Is it going to be something like a 30-second uh, TV commercial uh, or something like what we experience with YouTube? Do we know yet? We know that it's going to be approximately 15 to 30 seconds, but you're going to get multiple of those commercials throughout a program. So it'll be in the beginning and then during that program. And During. You know, so, I, oh, let's hang on there. So we're not just talking before and after. It's going to be kind of like uh, the YouTube model, I guess, eh? Yes. So you, you might be that big climax in a movie. And just before that happens, you're going to have to watch an ad. Um, that is what's going to happen. And you mentioned YouTube. And I kind of find this funny, Bruce, because you have YouTube trying to convince people, which is free. You can watch it with ads. Um, but they're trying to convince people to get a subscription to YouTube, a YouTube premium. So they pay $9.99 and you don't have to watch ads. So YouTube is trying to be like Netflix and now Netflix is trying to be like YouTube. So everything is converging because they, they understand that they have to have different revenue streams. And of course, if you got eyeballs, you're going to get advertisers and Netflix is looking to make some money. And that's one way that they expect to do it. And hopefully what they're really trying to do is attract younger viewers, People that are in college, maybe they're getting the first job. They want to get those people to get a Netflix subscription rather than use their parents' subscription that they probably currently do. I wonder if they thought about a free model and uh, maybe even upping the ads uh, to make it completely free. That, you know, if they did that, they would be on par with YouTube. And I think when it comes to younger people and their viewing habits – they, they get everything from TikTok and YouTube. That's all they need. And those are free, essentially, you know, watching ads. But they have that competition to get the younger. Because right the way that I see it, Bruce, Netflix is turning to what Facebook is now, where you have a lot of older people. But those people, you know, at, at some point, you're going to have to attract new customers. So they're going to have to start looking at different ways. But this is not the Netflix that we saw when they first came out. They, they, had, they had so much control on streaming, but the competition is just too fierce, not just with the streaming, but the free services like TikTok and YouTube. Are you going to switch, Andy? You know what? I don't even watch Netflix anymore, Bruce, but I can't cancel my subscription because my parents are on my account and I don't have the heart to tell them that they need to pay for their own Netflix. So rather than have that awkward conversation, I think I'm just going to keep paying for it, even though I don't watch Netflix. Oh, oh pleasure as always. And uh, I'm going to have to do some serious uh, thinking, but I think at the end of the day, Andy, um, the Clackett household, we're probably going to stick with the old model and uh, pay our extra 15 bucks. A few shillings, no commercials. I'm fine with that. 
Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are going to be comfortable watching commercials on Netflix. It's just going to feel kind of weird. It will indeed. Andy Brar, technology and digital lifestyle expert. Thank you so much for joining us, Andy, and have a great weekend. YouTubers. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.